Bow your hearts in prayer with me this morning. Father God, we thank you that you would be with us. I mean, God, you know who we are. You know what we've done. You know what we've thought. And you see the unfiltered motives in our hearts. And you'd be with us to the end. God, some days we really need those reminders. And we're thankful for them. We're thankful that you are more faithful than we are sinful. That you have more grace than we have imperfection. Lord, I pray that as we turn our attention and focus to your word, that you would do your work of making sure that word does not return void but accomplishes all that you have intended for us with it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Back in a period of time known as the 1980s, the finest and freshest of fruit juices came in cans. And by cans, I mean cardboard tubes a little bit bigger than a toilet paper roll with a label on it and aluminum caps held on by the weirdest tape you've ever seen. At least that's how it was in my house. This cardboard tube that masqueraded as a can would be set in the freezer. And when you wanted delicious, refreshing, fresh juice, fresh, you would grab this frozen rock-hard cylinder out of your freezer, hold it under warm water while trying not to get frostbite in the tips of your fingers and hoping that your skin didn't freeze bond to the container. You would then remove said sketchy tape, pull off the cap, and watch your juice plop into the, into the vessel. You'd add the appropriate amount of water, or if you were my parents, you would add more than that (laughs) to spread it out. And being in a home that altered the recipe, leaving us with watered-down juice, I would often wonder, what does this substance taste like? And and have, I would have visions in my mind of this has got to be the greatest orange juice popsicle in the world. And so I remember on one occasion getting a spoon and trying the orange juice popsicle. It was more than I bargained for. I did not anticipate the strength that the Surefine factory could do in removing all moisture from juice and reducing it to this cylinder. And that was when I learned what concentrate means. That it's more than just thinking really hard. You see a slice out of that that cylinder of juice-like substance was enough to fill a whole glass. 
Just a little bit of that. It was strong and it was potent. And it had all the, the nutrients and flavor just really packed into a small amount. And this morning, we're starting our way into the book of Ephesians. And there's a lot of scholars out there that call Ephesians or describe Ephesians as gospel concentrate. When you, you know, as you're going through your read through the Bible in a year plan and you get to the epistles of Paul and you read through Romans, this giant letter, and you get through 1st and 2nd Corinthians, these really long letters, and then you get to Ephesians. You're like, this is like two and a half pages. But you dare not read it fast. You dare not cram it down. You got to take your time with this because it is gospel concentrate. It's, it's epistle concentrate. It drips with meaning. It calls the readers to a much bigger view of God's grace and fullness and all that we have in Christ. It calls us to a deep understanding of our salvation and, and to a life that flows out of that understanding. It's potent. It's absolutely good for us. And some may be tempted to water it down and skim over it, but we shouldn't do that. We got to take every concentrated bite for what it is. Ephesians, we're going we're gonna to spend most of the year in it. We'll take a break over the summer, come back to it this fall. But it's going to start us with this grandiose picture of the grace of God, move to a unified picture of what it means to be his people, and take us through physical and spiritual complexities of life while never losing sight of the grace of God and always holding it in front of us. <coughs> Excuse me. You, you may have noticed we have these scripture journal Bibles in the back that are free for you to take. And really, the whole intention with this is you can use these for devotions and just read and reread Ephesians as we're going through it. You can use these for, for sermon notes, but I've noticed something about you. A few of you who love having this as your church home take it a bit too far and just leave your stuff here. We have a bin full of it downstairs. Well... There's like 150 of these floating around the building. So you may want to write your name in it um, just so we can, if you do lose it, you can, you can be reunited with your precious scripture journal Bible. Uh, but these are, these are free to take. I know a bunch of you have already taken them. There's, there's several more in the back. I, I encourage you to use it as a resource to help you dig into the word of God. If you're like me, you, you like writing in your Bible, uh, but, but you also like seeing the words of your Bible. And so this, this for me is something I can, I can write in, I can write all over this and still just have my few underlines in here and it helps me find that happy medium. So Ephesians starts out with this warm green. We're gonna go through the first six verses this morning. So let's, let's read these. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you, peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. Ephesians starts out with this greeting, and, and sometimes we're tempted to skim the greetings, but I want to slow down for just a second and just notice what Paul is saying. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ, and this is a happening of the will of God. This isn't Paul going to apostle school. This isn't Paul seeking out a, an influence so that he can have a, a, a major level of, of control and authority over the churches. This, he is just saying, this is where the Lord has put me. This is what he's done in my life. This is who he has made me to be. And it's written to the saints. Those who have come to faith in Christ, those who have been made into a new creation, he calls them not by their the, the insecurities that they call themselves, but he calls them by the name that the Lord would have for them, saints. That you are people who have been made holy. You are people who are faithful. And they are faithful in a place that was not easy to be faithful. Ephesus was not the easiest of first century cities to be a Christian. And remember, Paul he had to show that he was a man because they were getting ready to make sacrifices to him. They were so eager to find a God. The, the pagan culture was so deep and so twisted and so unbelievably lost. They were even violently pagan. And so this is to a group of believers in a very wicked city in a church that has hard times, in a church that Paul told the elders in, in Acts, when the last time he saw the elders, he goes, look, there are wolves in sheep's clothing and they're coming for your people. So the church in Ephesus was not without its issues. But it had saints who were faithful. They were faithful in Christ Jesus. They were unwavering. They were standing against the pressures around them that were within the culture and the difficulties within their own congregation. And then he gives this greeting. This greeting that is almost just becomes too familiar to us. It's over and over again in the New Testament. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This was not simply the common greeting of, hey, good morning, how you doing, living the dream. This wasn't just the first century version of that. Paul is greeting them with the very gospel of God. Grace to you from God. The very grace that saves us, may that be with you, and may the result of it be peace and shalom. This greeting, grace 
to you and peace from God was, a, was an extension of an even more concentrated version of the gospel than what he's already given them in the rest of the letter. That when we would come to other believers and say, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We would be reminding one another of the salvation freely offered to us and the result of it, of being peace with God. And that this greeting of grace and peace is not from Paul and his companions. He gives those greetings usually towards the end of his letters. This grace and peace is from the Lord himself. And it is the same grace and peace that we extend to each other. Not hoping, not me saying, hey, grace and peace from me, as though that would mean anything, but it is grace and peace from the creator of the universe. And then we get in. Paul starts with the letter, Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Through Christ, God has given us out-of-the-world blessings, and these blessings are complete and comprehensive. Have you ever heard somebody say that to understand the Bible, you have to see that God is angry and judging in the first half, and in the second half, Jesus is really kind? I just want to tell you, that's a terrible way to understand the Bible. That's, that's called modalism, and it's a heresy. But so often, God the Father gets kind of the bad cop treatment in our, in our view of the Trinity. But he's not the bad cop. He's the generous Father. He's the giver of the blessings. James tells us that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above who does not change like the shifting shadows. Paul here starts out, blessed be the God and Father of the Lord of Jesus, of our, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In short, we need to understand that there is nothing you have in Christ, not a single thing that you have in Christ that did not come from God the Father. And it will only benefit us to grow our understanding and thankfulness and gratitude in seeing God's hand as the Father in our salvation. That it's not he's the one from whom we are rescued, but he is the one who has blessed us. When we give God this bad cop treatment, we miss out on who he is. We miss out on his intention with creation. We miss out on experiencing his love. Everything we have through Christ was given by God the Father. And it is, listen to what he says, every spiritual blessing 
The Lord does not have in heaven a cupboard marked blessing that he refuses to open to us. You realize that? I remember being a kid going to grandma's house and there were things in grandma's house I could always have. If I wanted a lifesaver, there was always lifesavers in grandma's purse. And she would just pull it out. I'd have to guess the color. I'd get it. It was great. But there are also cabinets in grandma's house I wasn't allowed to open. I have no idea what was in them to this day. Probably her cigarettes, but that's... (laughs) There's not, in heaven, there's no covered marked blessing that God hasn't opened to you. There's, there's nothing on a shelf marked blessing just for the good Christians that God's not giving to you. He has given us every spiritual blessing. He's blessed us with these things. He's not holding out on us. He's not preventing us from having the good stuff. He has given us not just some of the blessings. He's given us every spiritual blessing. He's generous. He's kind. He's abundant. And where are these blessings from? They're from the heavenly places. You know, the, the, so there's a day this week where some of you might get jewelry from other people in the room. I don't know if you're aware of this. But you see the jewelry commercials. And it always has this lady who's just flabbergasted and beside herself. And she always goes, oh, he went to Walmart. (laughs) No, none of the commercials say that. Now, if you go to Walmart, you'll see round shiny things that hold other shiny things that look like rocks. And they're like 10 to 20 bucks, super cheap. No one says, oh, he went to Walmart when they get jewelry. If they do, it doesn't sound nice. They say, oh, he went to Jared's. You hear every kiss begins with K. Where the blessing comes from, where the blessings come from matters. God has not given us every spiritual blessing from Oklahoma. That'd be awful. He's given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Blessings that are out of this world. Blessings that we can't comprehend on our own. He went to heaven. And he blesses us with virtue. He blesses us with belonging. He blesses us with bringing us in. He blesses us with forgiveness that's complete and total. He blesses us with eternal life, with purpose, He blesses us with hope. He blesses us with love. He blesses us with the body of Christ. He blesses us with every spiritual blessing. He does it through Christ. And these blessings that are out of this world that we have through Christ, that God has given us, they're complete and comprehensive, and they are absolutely filled with purpose. This is in verse 4. He blessed us with the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. I know that this passage has been problematic for some. 
And the implications have mystified theologians and scholars for centuries. Well, lucky for you, I'm going to clear it all up. <laughs> Settle it once and for all. Probably not. But I do hope. Even as I've wrestled with this at times in my walk and still have questions I'll probably never have answers to, I do hope that as we read these, that the intended the intention behind them, that we would see the blessings of God, that every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place would come and would result in us seeing the purpose-filled love of God in a way that gives us hope, confidence, leads to greater joy and confidence in our walk with Lord, confidence in his grace. So the elephant in the room here is the timing. So we look at the text. What does the text say? He's blessing us this. When does he bless us with these things? That even as he chose us in him, even as God the Father chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. And then he goes on that in love, he predestined us for adoption. It pushes the limits of our minds to think before the foundation of the world. If you flip really quickly to... to uh, 2 Timothy 1.9, see Paul says that God, power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Go to Titus 1.2. In hope of eternal life, with which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. Listen, I know there's a handful of you who, who have had careers as builders. When a good builder starts a house, let's say it's a really big house, they know where the wires are going to be on the second and third floor before they break ground on the basement. A good builder knows where the wires are going to be on the second floor before he starts digging out the basement. And why would the God of heaven be less detailed? In fact, he's much more detailed. And we'll get into some of the challenges of that in a little bit. But I want us to see, before we get to those challenges... I want you to see how little your salvation, Christian, has to do with you. There's so many times we're like, well, we, we try to figure out how God chose. And I, and I don't think that's really going to get us much of anywhere. Because usually where we go is, well, he knew who would, would do this. He knew who would do that. He, he knew who would be good enough. No! He just knew who he would save. God chose us in him before there was a drop of water in the Pacific Ocean. Before the foundations of the world. Your salvation has everything to do with who God in heaven is.
even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And listen to the why. Listen, listen to the motive of God choosing us before the foundation of the world, before he created time, is what Paul was saying in 2 Timothy and Titus, before the ages began, before time was invented, that we should be holy and blameless before him. That the, the purpose-filled will of God, while you let this soak in, and there's a pun intended there with the Pacific Ocean analogy, look at this intention, that we should be holy and blameless before him. I think it's pretty easy to be holy and blameless before the Des Moines Police Department. That's pretty easy. It's pretty easy to be holy and blameless before the Iowa State Patrol and even the FBI. But to be holy and blameless before God. And that's what he chose us to be. Now, when we look at all of Ephesians, we see clearly that Paul is not saying God got to choose first for kickball and chose only the holy and blameless people. That's not what Ephesians is saying. Ephesians is saying, Paul is going to say, we're going to get to this later in Ephesians, to all these faithful saints of Ephesus, you were dead in your trespasses. You were children of wrath. You were following the prince of the power of the air. You are sons of disobedience. He has all kinds of flattering things to say about them. So it's not God choosing those who are by virtue already holy and blameless. He's choosing to transform. To do in us what we're incapable of. To be vessels of a miracle. So this, this purpose-filled love of God is is for the purpose of transformation. It's a transformative and it's adoptive. In love, he predestined us for adoption to be sons through Jesus Christ. That God did not save you to set you aside and say, there you're saved, you're out of your trouble. Let me get you out of this predicament that you can't get yourself out of and then you can go your merry way. God, that's not God's view of you. God saved you to make you his child. He didn't save you to set you aside and hope that you could do better with a fresh start. He saved you to bring you in so that you could not know him just as like this God who created and saved, but that you could know him as Father God who has a house with a room for you and has an inheritance that's set aside for you. He saved you to make you his, to be co-heirs with Christ. This is according to the purpose of his will. You're gonna, there's gonna be a few words you're gonna get hopefully tired of. If I'm preaching Ephesians well, you're, you're, it's just gonna get really redundant for a few weeks. It's going to get really redundant on the will and the purpose of God. Why would God choose us before the foundation of the world? Why would he lovingly adopt, predestine us for adoption? Because it's who he is. Why didn't God wipe out humanity and start over with humanity 2.0 who wouldn't sin? Because that's contrary to his will. 
His will is to save, to adopt, to transform. It's true to who he is, and it's true to who he always has been. That's why in Exodus, why did he save Israel? Not just because he was sick of their slavery and hated their slavery. He saved them to be his people. That's how we know he's an adopting God. That's how we know he doesn't just save us and set us aside. If that was it, he'd be like, all right, Israel, I got you past the Red Sea. You're on your own. But instead, he patiently put up with them, walked with them, and brought them into covenant and rescued them over and over and over again and and gave them food every day and kept their clothes from wearing out and eventually got them to the promised land when they were ready. Because he's a God whose will, whose desire, whose purpose is to bring us in. Not just to save us and set us aside, but to bring us in. I, when I was in college, I remember coming out of class one day. I don't remember what class I was in, but I had a friend who was in Intro to Theology, and he comes and he's like, this professor's talking about something called predestination, and I don't like it, and it makes me uncomfortable. And he gives this version of it, and I'm like, well, I don't think I like that either. And I'm getting upset. See, the, the church I grew up at, Pastor Denny, he never talked. He never talked about Calvinism, Arminianism, predestination. I never heard those words. I heard every Sunday how the rapture was most likely going to happen by the year 2000, but I never heard these other things. I heard a whole lot about how Israel needed a special red heifer. I still don't understand. But I didn't hear about these other things. So I'm starting to get upset with my friend. And then, about that same time, a buddy of mine says, hey, a few of us are going to do a Bible study, uh, and we'd love to have you join. And let's, we decided, hey, let's, let's study Ephesians together. That seems like a good book to study together. So I go to do my Bible study prep work, and I'm reading, and I'm like, well, Paul believes in predestination. I, maybe I should too. Like, I'm willing to disagree with a professor at a college. I'm not willing to disagree with Paul. Here's what we need to realize. When we believe the word of God is inspired by God for the purpose of teaching, correcting, rebuking, training up in righteousness, when we believe this is God's word for us, the the light to our path, the lamp to our feet, right? This is God's word for us. It means we're not suffering through learning Paul's theology. We're learning what Paul knew to be true about God because God revealed it to Paul. So this isn't Paul going, well, guys, you know, I've kind of pieced it together. This is what I think, this is what I think is true. It's Paul writing with certainty under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. A couple other things that I had to work out. If I believe God is all-knowing, if I believe he's outside of creation, not bound by creation, then I have to know that he knew long before I ever could that I would repent of my sin and come to faith in him. But there's also some things I need to work out here. This is not based on an idea of fairness 
developed in the minds of people who sin. And when we try to figure out, look, look, Paul doesn't say, here's how God chose everyone. Here's the criteria. He actually has an Excel spreadsheet. And look, quite frankly, some people just didn't make the cut. And I think you can agree with me on why. Paul doesn't say that. That'd be really weird if he did. He doesn't go into the method. He just states the reality of an all-knowing God with a redemptive, adoptive, transformative will who is completely over his creation. He doesn't give us a method. And so many times we want to make it about fairness. And we want to try and find a fairness. We need to realize God's ways and thoughts are higher than ours. So anything I have about fairness is, is, is very human-oriented. And the point here isn't to strategize how things happen, but to make much of God. Here's a couple other things that this says really abundantly that struck me even as I was preparing to share with you this morning. If this is true, if this is true, I am more firmly in God's hands than I ever imagined. My salvation has absolutely nothing to do with my potential, what I might bring to the table. It has nothing to do with my, uh, my presuppositions. It has nothing to do with my natural inclinations. In fact, if anything, it's completely in spite of those things. Listen to this again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. What could it possibly have to do with me? To think it has anything to do with me. It's just, just, just weird. It has everything to do with God. And isn't that great news? And before we, we get too caught up in, in, well, if God's choosing, he must be angry. We need to look again. Look at it. In love, he predestined us for adoption. In love, he did this. You are in God's hands, not your own. For those of us who have all these questions, what about my kids? What about my, what about my loved ones? Are they chosen? I don't know. Let's make the gospel as clear to them as we possibly can. But are we willing to say, God, I trust your sovereignty and all these loved ones I have all these questions about. I just, I have no other choice but to put them directly in your loving hands. And then to see the grace just oozing out of this. Grace, 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 grace. How could this be anything but unmerited, unearned, that God made these, these choices before there was a drop of water in the Pacific Ocean. Christian, God knew even then he would adopt you and make you holy and blameless.
he also knew what it would take. These blessings are complete and comprehensive. They're filled with purpose, and they are gloriously grace-filled. Look at Paul. Paul, in Ephesians 1, has like the, the longest run-on sentences of the whole New Testament, maybe human history. He can't stop. So from here, instead of putting in a period, he just keeps going to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. There's blessing, blessing, blessing. Grace, grace, grace. It's all over the place. And Paul sounds almost hyperbolic here, but he's not overstating a single thing. This is to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us. See, we don't just need a broken record soundbite on the purpose of his will, but we need it on grace too. Paul just can't move on from it. And why would you want to? When you see something truly spectacular, you might find yourself at a loss for words, only able to just go, wow, wow, amazing. A week and a half ago, I was on my couch, couldn't move at all, like sick as a dog, looking up the number for hospice. I don't think I have much time left. <laughs> Meanwhile, my phone is getting messages from Pastor Austin in Hawaii with pictures of palm trees and moonlit beaches, these glorious sights that he's able to just go, wow, 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 having the greatest joys of life while I'm dying on my couch, <laughs> kind enough to share them with me. But when you see things like that, all you can say is it's beautiful. It's amazing. It's glorious. And that's where Paul's at. He has this view of God's grace. He has to share it with this church as they are being faithful against these pressures. The first most important thing he can think to say is look at God's glorious grace. Look at the purpose of his will unfolding within you. God gets the credit. So you might be finding yourself like, just saying, what do I do with this? This is great. It's heartwarming. It's stirring my affections for the Lord. I hope it is. I think we, we have an instruction in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is writing this to invite us to join him in worship because the God and Father, creator of the universe, chose to give us this grace before he even laid the foundations of the world. Chose to make us his. Chose to make us holy and blameless before there was a drop of water in the Pacific. He chose to give us every blessing in the heavenly places through Christ. Paul is calling us to join him in worship. Knowing whatever blessing we offer back to God pales in comparison with the glorious grace-filled blessings he's given us in Christ. 
And believer, you're here this morning. You've made Jesus your Lord. Confessed your sin. You're a new creation. This is what you have. This is what God has given you. He's given you every blessing. Made you holy and blameless, a child of God. If you're here this morning, you're like, I haven't put my faith in Christ. I'm still checking it out. I have a lot of questions, quite frankly. Maybe you have a few more now. You're welcome. <laughs> These are the blessings available to you. This is the gift of grace that God is holding out saying, if you would come to me through Jesus Christ, if you would come to me through Christ to have your sins forgiven, this is my offer. Oh, I pray that we would frequent, more frequently dwell on and more fully realize what's already been given to us. And we have an opportunity to do that right now. As we, as we come to the Lord's table, that this is how this is the how. How do we get those blessings? <coughs> Excuse me. We get them because Christ's body was torn and his blood was poured out to start a new covenant so that we, who were far off, could be brought near and be children of God. As those who are going to serve us with music and passing the elements. As you come forward, would you bow your hearts and pray with me? Father, we praise you for this glorious grace. God, that you would, you would bless us with every spiritual blessing. You would do this through Christ. That we could be called sons and daughters of God. That we could be made holy and blameless. Lord, we thank you for these blessings. We thank you that you made all of this possible through Christ Jesus. And it says, his holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Communion is something for believers to do to remember what God has done to bring us into fellowship. So if you're here this morning and you have, you have yet to say, Jesus is my Lord, you have yet to ask the Lord to forgive your sins, we invite you to just respectfully pass it to the next person. No one's going to think anything of it. Believer, fellow Christian, if you're here, I want you to take this. I want you to hold this. I want you to remember that this, what Christ did, is how we have access to every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places to become sons and daughters of God, to be made holy and blameless. And please hold these until all have been served so we can have the joy of partaking together.